Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-hosts, the pet experts themselves, Mr. Rick Pruce from Pruce Pets. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. It's a pleasure to see you this morning, and Dr. Will Schultz from Schultz Veterinary Clinic, retired, and it's good to see you, Doc. Uh, thanks. I can tell the ur- the urgency is here today. We well, got a good one today. Well, it's go. it's one I think you will enjoy. Rick and I have enjoyed interviewing him in the past, and because he was an instructor at Michigan State University, he actually even came into the studio uh, with us one time, which I was especially pleased. Uh, pleased by because it's an amazing conversation when you can look a man in the eye. Now, now it's a little difficult. It. it is yeah. because now he's even further away yeah. than he was with Shedd Aquarium in Chicago and now he's recently retired and instead he is just living it up in San Diego, California and if you think the weather is perfect there then I know you've been there because yes. it, the weather is it's perfect, perfect all year in, round. In year San round. Diego, yeah. California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Hey, I just wanted to take the time to uh, – I was on my way in uh, to the station today, and along the way, just down the street here, I have to kind of navigate around a pickup truck. And here a guy stops along the way, just in his pickup truck, walk, gets out of his truck, walks across the street, and just smells some flowers, right? And I'm like, What? But then again, it made me think, we all have to stop. We all have to smell. And it was just great that that guy took the moment in his day to find that flower to smell. So welcome to our show. (laughs) Don't we smell great today? Yes. Yes. No, actually, I I think that that's great. Because one thing I will say, Rick, is I sometimes like to take my dog out on a walking trail by us. Yeah. And it's incredible because I frequently see people who will stop and pull some wildflowers out and maybe take it home for a spouse or someone. They're not supposed to do that, but they do (laughs) it. Don't get anybody in trouble. I'm not standing there. I'm, I'm, not I'm in the background names. shaking my head. Not, Don't pick the trail. I'm not naming, yeah. na- I'm not I, naming names, but yeah. I am saying people seem to be learning to really appreciate nature more in the last few years, Absolutely. I think, than they did before. And I think that's, again, from the yeah. time off at COVID, I think it made people begin to appreciate that. So that's Absolutely. not a bad thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and Dr. Van Bon went from an equine specialist, maybe not a specialist, but equine arthroscopic surgery, which is a a heavy duty part of equine medicine into aquariums. Well, I'll, I'll and, be I'll be anxious to see how that happened. Yeah, I, it's just how, how how is that possible? How how am I going from looking inside of a joint of a horse to then looking yeah. uh, at the mouth of a shark or a, I, I don't know? And, yeah, they all have yeah. big fat bellies. That's that's it. That's true. <laughs> well, but you want to know what I would love to know because I'll bet you there's probably a hundred students at MSU's vet school who are asking the question. How do I get a job where I get to go to Shedd Aquarium and be the vice president of animal care 
at one of the coolest places on in Earth. on Earth to, to be able to work. What did this guy do? Who did this guy know? Tell me what is the secret yeah, yeah, to yeah. getting from Michigan yeah. State Veterinary School to a position like that? Yeah, when I was in school, it was like people talked about it, but there, there, there were no pathways. And he has created a pathway in his work for people to get boarded in this reproduction, or not in reproduction, but in, in fisheries and to get a job in this business. It's just really a cool thing. Right. Yeah. And and the one thing, too, that I will say that I really like about Dr. Van Bond in the past is that he really loves it when people learn from him. And I love people who have that philosophy that feel an obligation to take everything that life has taught them and share it with you. And, and teaching is incredibly rewarding. It, 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 it makes you feel good because you've passed on something that you've learned. Now the next generation knows how to do the next it, thing. It is one of those. Well, and since we'll probably be talking to a, a retired individual as well as you being retired, Doc, uh, it, there, in, in back reflection, inevitably, yeah. you know, it won't be the cars we buy. It won't be the, you know, the uh, money we made. It's going to be the amount of influence we've made on others and how they feel about us. Is that fair enough to say? Totally fair. I think that's the, that's the gift that you get. It's the gift that you're giving. Uh, it, it sounds maybe an overdone statement, but yeah. it isn't. It's, it's something that you can think of for the rest of your life that, you know, I, I donated to, to society, to the world, and that's it. Well, to talk with Dr. Van Bon, who is someone who has clearly had a very successful career in a different kind of veterinary medicine than you have had, and compare, com, comparing that with your experiences, Doc, and Rick is always up for a good fish tank chemistry question <laughs> at, any, at any time, place there is. So it yeah. should be a great show this morning right here on 1320 WI. It's the Mid-Michigan pet expert talk show on 1320 WILS. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruce, a man possessing unparalleled animal care expertise, and Lee Cohen, who's also here. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick and Doc, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Dr. Bill Van Bon, who when we last spoke with him, he was the uh, VP of Veterinary Care at Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. Uh, but Dr. Van Bon, we understand that uh, we find you now in sunny California. That doesn't sound like a horror place to have to be so I guess my first question is what the heck are you doing in California well well good morning Lee uh, <laughs> yes I have returned to Southern California I, I did retire uh, last fall uh, my wife's family is from sunny South, Southern California so we've uh, moved back out here to spend the uh, most of the year and next to family near grandma and uh, papa and uh, focus on the family well, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Um, you, you, you can only spend so much time with these animals before you realize at least the most important animal is you. So uh, great yeah. call. So, sounds like a great call. And, and so what are, are you doing anything in the midst of your retirement uh, other than uh, spending cherished times with the grandchildren? <laughs> well, I did commit to uh, – uh, well, I, I – 
I promise to make no commitments for the first year to try to get uh, settled into the new uh, routine <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, the new lifestyle. Um, although um, I have had some opportunities and I've already done a little bit of consulting work um, and I'm uh, hoping to be able to contribute some in that arena, but uh, it's nice to be able to pick and choose. That's great. And, and how did the transition for Shed Aquarium go with you stepping away? Um, what 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 was yeah. left behind? Well, Ru- it was very ruins. Nice, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Ruins? No, 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 no. Uh, on the contrary. So, um, you know, at the aquarium, of course, we were partners with the Chicago Zoological Society and the Illinois um, Zoo and Aquatic Animal Medicine Residency. Right. So it's a training residency, uh, ACZM or American College of Zoological Medicine uh, accredited residency training, <clears throat> excuse me. And so uh, we've had, uh, I think, 15 uh, residents now that have uh, uh-huh. matriculated from that program. And uh, one of the one of our recent residents has actually stayed on and, and now has moved into the, the vice president role. So there's been sort of a seamless transition. That's fantastic. And, and these residents, where are they going to go from there? Yeah, they've all uh, been gainfully employed in you know major zoo and aquarium um, locations. Uh, one of them is out here at the San Diego uh, Zoo and has been for quite a few years now. Uh, one of them is now the uh, the lead veterinarian for the uh, New York Aquarium. Um, there are uh, several that have been at our our, our partners at. Uh, SeaWorld. Uh, so, you know, most of the, the major zoological institutions that have a significant aquatic animal uh, collection um, have hired these folks. That's great. So I have a question for you. This is not on the, we'll, we'll get back to this later, but you graduated from Michigan State Veterinary School, congratulations, which I did, but you started out doing arthroscopic surgery on horses. Now, how does that get you to fish, because I don't care how that looks or what it looks like, the horse and a fish are birds of a different feather. Seahorses. Yeah. Sea- ah, there you go. <laughs> so how, how, how did this come about? I thought that, that that question may come up, and, and for the listeners um, who, are, who are aspiring to veterinary school, uh, I learned a lesson very early on. Uh, when I reported to veterinary school and I was sitting in, in the uh, – uh, the auditorium, the dean came in and said, welcome to vet school, and, and how many of you want to be small animal veterinarians? And everybody raised their hand. Uh, how many want to be dairy veterinarians? And maybe a couple raised their hand. How many want to be equine veterinarians? I think I was the only one maybe that raised my hand. <clears throat> and I was really surprised because um, that was my interest initially. Um, I grew up, uh, so to speak, on a small referral equine surgical practice in southeastern Michigan. And uh, I thought everybody was doing the same thing. And the dean said, I'm here to tell you that five years out of veterinary school, you will be doing something completely different than you think you're going to be doing now. And uh, I said, well, maybe everybody else, but I've got to I know, I know what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> well, and you were in the single lane. Was right. yeah. uh, you know, the dean was right. Life happens. Uh, opportunities present themselves. Uh, tragedies present themselves, uh, and you move on. And, and I had some tremendous opportunities early on to get uh, uh, exposed to aquatic animal medicine. Um, truth be told, my major hobby, which I've been able to uh, enjoy more uh, over the last year or so, is uh, fly fishing. Awesome. So I 
decided once I figured out, well, maybe I'm not going to be an equine surgeon forever. Um, how do I spend time with this degree and the investment I made in it, working uh, on in those environments that I love, you know, the little trout streams, um, the pristine environments mm-hmm. where trout like to live. And right. That's how I ended up uh, getting exposed to, to aquatic animals. Um, in those days, there were not many opportunities, and that's something that's different today. Uh, the residents and interns today have all sorts of postdoctoral opportunities for specialization. Uh, when I graduated, there, there, there weren't very many, but there was, uh, I did attend the inaugural course uh, of a course called EnviroVet, which was really uh, uh, in- influential in my career. The, um, it was run by a, a, a BVM toxicologist, PhD toxicologist out of the University of Illinois. Uh, and his vision was that veterinarians can contribute to uh, ecosystem health uh, more than just, you know, one individual animal health and more than just herd health, but ecosystem health. I think he was really um, the one health idea uh, many years ago. And uh, that course uh, was a month-long residency at the University of Wisconsin Superior's campus, which is right in the heart of um uh, the North Country, which I love, um, and he brought together all kinds of disciplines of people working with ecosystems. So we we spent a month with stream ecologists and population biologists and fisheries uh, scientists and biologists, and it was just incredible. Wow, that's uh, great! Well, that was my initial. Well, and 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 it it hit hits home for me in that uh, a whole lot of our time when working with customers that have fish aquariums. We spend most of our time not on the specific species that we're dealing with, but what's the environment like, what's the ecosystem like, and, right. and educating people on how to create a healthy ecosystem. And it would only seem logical to take a jump from being a veterinarian trained in the, the art of the ecosystem outside to start connect that with the ecosystem within a confined space like Shedd Aquarium. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked about this before that, uh, you know, the very first questions that you'll ask as a practitioner caring for an aquatic animal or fish are, are, are water quality questions. Because most of the challenges uh, that uh, artificial aquatic environments have are related to maintaining an environment that's healthy for the animals. So you start with history and, and ask the right questions and you'll get, you'll, you'll oftentimes not even need to lay hands on the patient. Uh, to help help the situation. Yeah. History yeah. is everything. So when you have uh, uh, this thing, you have like 2,500 species at Shedd Aquarium. Do you see pH of water? Do you see hardness of water? Do you see um, all of, how do you balance that for each species if you have multiple species in one tank? Right. <clears throat> well, uh, Shedd Aquarium is actually hundreds of aquaria. Um, there are many different systems. They have uh, water that mimics, uh, there, well, of course, there's fresh water, there's salt water, uh, there's warm water, there's cold water, there's water that looks like Great uh, Lake Michigan right outside the back door, there's water that looks like the Amazon River Basin, and all of those waters are different in uh, physiochemical properties. So um, the part of the way, part of the success is related to a very uh, robust uh, lab that monitors all those parameters on a regular basis. I mean, sometimes it's real time. Uh, so there are inline 
measurements happening to determine things like the pH or the temperature. Um, and and that's uh, looking at trends over time. So much, uh, so so valuable. Just like uh, a lot of phys- uh, geophysical or physical chemical parameters uh, uh, in a patient's blood sample. Uh, you you want to look at that, and trends over time are giving you incredible information. So there's uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of samples that are looked at every day, and that wow. data is used to make decisions. Uh, you were there for a good number of years, and you probably, you know, kind of pre-high-tech and now post-high-tech. And I know in our in our world, uh, we, you know, the aquarium world, uh, on, on a more retail basis, uh, a lot of adm- advancements have been made in recording, automatic testing, and uh, graphing, and overall presentation to the point where, you know, somebody can be at work and and look at all of the, spe- you know, the specs of their aquarium from is the pump working, is the, are the lights working, um, how, I want to change the lights right now, uh, you know, all from some point elsewhere. And I'm just curious, and, and, and I'm also thinking about Dr. Gallant over at MSU who runs a uh, research lab uh, for electric fish. And uh, we've sold him a substantial amount of uh, high-tech communications that control all of his, his, his operation. How has that changed at Shed's Aquarium or in your world? Uh, has equipment like that, uh, in our case, it's an apex system, but... Uh, uh, how has that changed in in at the uh, public aquarium world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know the the fishes um, are are breathing the water, and that's something we always try to remind folks who are who maybe not familiar with the decision making that goes into healthcare and providing healthcare for animals, right? But fish are are breathing water, so uh, it, it's critical. A lot many of them have very limited ranges for some of those different parameters, uh, even as simple as temperature. So let's say something as simple as a breaker trips for some reason uh, and the heat exchanger goes down. Well, you've got minutes um, before there's going to be a health impact on the animals. So these uh, systems now, these wireless systems that are monitoring and sending chimes and sending alerts to people are incredibly valuable. Because before there is uh, damage done, you can you can you're you're aware of the situation and you can make a right the right change and and avoid those kinds of catastrophes. Oh, that's, that's that's, a, that's that is amazing. It's yeah. an amazing change in we, technology. We, we we have the same situation yeah. where we have a lot of aquarium maintenance accounts, and because they have that high tech equipment, when something fails on their tank, you know we are given notices. Uh, at at our Amazing. you know in Lansing and it might be in Brighton and we're at least mm-hmm. able to get a hold of the the client and say hey you've got a problem with your tank this this and this and uh, it makes all the world of difference and especially when it comes to life support you know it's it's convenience Absolutely. it's convenience right it's 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 all easy I mean probably you know a hundred steps that had to be taken before in order to kind of keep documentation now is in three steps 
but more importantly, it's kind of a life support opportunity. Well, and if you think about it, it's also very helpful because I've had situations just in the last month where I'm here in Lansing and I don't even know till I get home that we lost power earlier that day. And if I'm in that situation that Rick describes, uh, I'd like to be able to do something about it before there's a problem, not after it's a problem. So it, it sounds like an amazing uh, bit of technology. So, uh, Dr. Van Bond, when it comes to uh, Shed Aquarium, there's a question that I want to ask you, and I think we're going to be running out of time, so you may not be able to answer it uh, until after the break. But if you look back at your time at Shed and all of the different projects you worked on, the changes and evolution of things, what are you most proud of? What is it that if you look back at it, you can kind of a sign that I'm, I'm happiest about this as something that I did because we all have them uh, and there may be a few of them, but we'd love to hear them. We're talking this morning with Dr. Bill Van Bon, who was the vice president of uh, animal care at Shed Aquarium and is recently retired and now is just going to soak up the sun out in California, play with the family and do all of the fun stuff that working thugs like me are just going to dream about for a while. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll continue the conversation right here on 1320 WILS. It's 935 and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with Bill Van Bon, who is a former former now uh, veterinarian from Shed Aquarium in Chicago. And Bill, like I asked you the question before the break, if you look back at your many years that you worked for Shed Aquarium, what is the single thing, if you had to pick one, that you are the most proud of as sort of your legacy from your time there? Yeah, Lee, there's, there, when you ask the question, there's actually two things that come to mind. If I have to rank order them, um, I think the first one would be uh, the training that we did. Uh, I mentioned the residency earlier. Um, in, in every role that I've had, uh, there's always been an opportunity to uh, provide um, training to uh, students, everything from pre-veterinary students all the way up through the residents. And to see those folks continue on, uh, carry on, make advancements, um, I think has been really the most rewarding thing. Um, there's there's so many of them over the years now, and, and so many of them moved on to these these influential roles. But that's probably the the single thing I'd have to list. Does does your residency program go to a specialization? Yes, yeah, it's a uh, it's American College of Zoological Medicine. Uh, the, these residents sit to be boarded diplomates in ACCM. Right. Um, which again, you know, in the early years of my career, that opportunity was not there. No. Yeah, and what people don't know out there is that as we graduate from veterinary school, we can go directly into practice. And some people that want to go and specialize, you'll have to do a couple years postgraduate work and then take a very, very rigorous exam to make your boards or, or to be specialized. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, one one question I have, uh, just on a personal note. Um, that being your your highlight uh, must make you at least a good teacher. And what is it about you or teaching that that made it rewarding? You know, uh, 
I enjoy, and I think we have an obligation to uh, pass along our experience and knowledge to the next generations. Um, and I remember uh, very early on when I was trying to decide whether I wanted to be a veterinarian or not, and volunteering at the local small animal practice. And, uh, well, I'll tell you the story. I was in a relatively rural area, and a little girl brought in uh, with her grandma, brought in a little kitten. And uh, the complaint was it had a little sore on its face that wouldn't heal up, and it had been there for a couple of weeks. It kind of kept opening and wouldn't end. So Doc looked at it and he says, "Oh, he says, oh, you got a cuter rebra." And he, he he reached in there with a pair of forceps, you know, and pulled out this cuter rebra larva. And I was like, "Oh my god, unbelievable!" You know. And I said, "But he knew. He just knew right off the bat." He said, "Oh, this is what this is, and this is a insect larva that lays its the, the insect lays its egg around its burrows, and when the kitten goes to investigate, the egg gets on the skin and." hatches out, burrows in the skin, you know, and I thought, oh my God, that's the knowledge I wanted to have cool. and, uh, and transfer it on to other folks, you know, those kinds of things. Um, that, that to me was part of uh, the attraction of being a veterinarian. Now, when did you come, uh, when did you feel comfortable with the idea of uh, being at the underbelly of a shark? <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, that was the that's part where I realized that Dean was right. I never expected to be um, working with uh, um, aquatic animals. Um, you know, my interest was with fish goes way back, and I was trying to figure out how I could be, spend time in that environment. Um, but then I had an opportunity to work for the uh, the Army, the Department of Defense, um, and I grew up in Ann Arbor in the '70s, which was um, a lot of sort of anti-war sentiment, right? A lot of hell no, I won't go and burning your draft cards and things uh, post-Vietnam. Uh, but my parents had all done time in the military. So uh, my mother and father both had spent time active duty and they would sit with my uncles and ah, when I was in the Navy. And so I didn't really know who to identify with. But uh, right. as I was exploring what I was going to do once I decided, well, maybe I'm not going to be an equine surgeon forever, um, I, and at the EnviroVet course, I actually met some military veterinarians, and I thought, what the heck do you do in the military? Um, and they encouraged me to um, talk to the to the recruiter and fill out all the paperwork, which which I did. Uh, and um, the the short story is they, they offered me a position to work with the Navy's Marine Mammal Program because they knew I had some interest in background in aquatic animals. Um, and that's how I ended up my my first major uh, job position with uh, aquatic animals was was working with the Navy's Marine Mammal Program here in San Diego. So so that brought up my question. A couple of weeks ago in the news, they found this whale in uh, what was it Finland or Norway with a sensor on it. That's a Russian spy whale. Um, <laughs> is uh, go ahead. Do you do you have to kill us if you tell us about this? But can you tell us about your? No, so you were well, Navy Marine that, Mammal that, and, Program, and did, and did you meet, meet Mr. Limpet? So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so well, what did you, what, you do it was, there? It, it was also a life changing experience. Um, I have a whole new respect for for the military and the Department of Defense. Um, you know, gr- growing up in southeastern Michigan, if you saw somebody in uniform, it was a little unusual. Um, here in San Diego, it's it's routine. 
And uh, so the, the work that's being done by the military is incredibly valuable to, to our country, our nation, our world. And much of it is misunderstood, including the, the Marine Mammal Program. But essentially, these are animals that are used very much like uh, working dogs, like police dogs or, or FAA dogs or DEA dogs, right? They're, they're incredibly effective detection uh, they can detect things that our machines, our technology, like we were talking about earlier, is phenomenal technology that's advanced. Um, it, it, we're still way behind Mother Nature in many ways, and it's hard to replace uh, animals. And uh, so these are these animals do very similar sorts of things. They just do them in the water because they're adapted to live in the water. So, um, so what are they? What are they sniffing out? So they, there's there's two primary um, two primary targets. <laughs> um, <laughs> one one would be uh, explosives, of course, right? Yes, there yes. are mines are used in uh, naval warfare, and uh, if you're a captain of a vessel, you uh, want to know where they are. Yeah. So these animals detect and locate um, underwater explosives. They work closely with uh, EOD technicians. Uh, and then the other is intruders, uh, security, people that shouldn't be where they are in the water. Uh, and so that's the two main roles that they play, and they're very, very effective at it. Is it, is it so, mainly um, – what, what specifics? I'm thinking dolphins, um, certainly whales. Yeah, the two, yeah, the two primary animals that are used are Atlantic bottlenose dolphins. These are the standard dolphin that you would think about. It. Uh, and, and then the other is a California sea lion. Wow. And they're both incredibly, incredible utility animals. Uh, very, very adaptable. They, they, they love to work. It's uh, for them. It's like uh, playing ball uh, with your Labrador. You know, he wants to go to the park. You have you throw that ball. And he can't wait. Um, same kind of thing. So, so, so I'm on an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific. Do I have a, an aquarium on the boat where I'm carrying my dolphins and my, uh, uh, you know, seals with me to take them that far away from the United States? How do they get them there? You, uh, you, you, you may, <laughs> um, and that's one of the, the values of the program is that it's um, it's portable. And so, uh, yes, uh, part of uh, my experience early on was traveling with the animals. That's one of the things that the responsibility for the veterinary corps is to travel with the animals to make sure that they're uh, protected and and cared for Probably, whatever, whatever. Yeah. Okay. so so if i've got so, my dog and i'm training and I'm, I'm here doing a scent tracking with the dog the dog's in my sight but you're now thousand miles two thousand miles from where you started homing instincts how you let them off the boat and go fetch so i'm going to go yep. fetch this bomb how do you make it come back to the boat because the boat's drifting the boat's moving how do they yep. sense how do they get back there I'm lost well, uh, right now. I'm still I'm still treading water. <laughs> no, just yeah, just like uh, just like your dog, um, repetition, consistency, um, uh, experience. Um, you know, field trial dogs go to all kinds yeah. of different locations and environments, and and they learn, they yeah. figure out, um, and there's an incredible amount of effort that's that goes into oh, yeah. the relationship that you build with those animals. Um, and so that they understand uh, what, what you're asking them to do. In yeah. fact, they enjoy providing, you know, pleasing you, and, and getting you know getting the rewards of being working with you. You got you got to you got to trade your liver treats in for sardines. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, well, yeah. that's right. right. And, uh, and do yeah, they have like tracking? 
Do you have tracking collars on them? So it, it depends on the situation. Um, and again, I, I've been away from that program for quite a, a few years time. now. But, but that's um, changed. But yes, of course, they uh, just like your your field trial dog might wear a, a collar or a beeper collar or something like that. There there are devices that uh, allow the handlers to know where the animal is. Right. Um, but, but you're right; these animals are free ranging, working in the open ocean, and, and uh, free will to. To, to do what they wish. Interesting. Well, Dr. Van Baum, we need to take another break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you for the second half of my question being answered, which is what was the other thing uh, that made it along <laughs> with the program uh, that you're particularly proud of? And we'll do that right here on 1320 WILS. Back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're speaking this morning with Dr. Bill Van Baum, who is recently retired from the Shedd Aquarium and Dr. Van Bon, I asked you the question prior to the break of uh, the second thing that you are very proud of in your years at Shed because, I mean, you accomplished a lot of different things to read through uh, the information that's available. So what was number two? <laughs> well, um Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about number two, Lee, because, uh, yeah, it is hard to pick. But uh, I, I think the second thing I would list is uh, bringing in some of the new technology that we were able to, the, uh, particularly the molecular biology and uh, the, the, uh, the uh, microbiome research. Um, we were fortunate enough to um, have a, a sponsor uh enable us to build out a laboratory, a molecular biology laboratory, uh, right on site at the aquarium. So we had a DNA sequencer and little robotic fluid handlers and everything that's required to do the bench work to discover uh, nucleic acid particles in the environment, so DNA and RNA in the environment. And that has been eye-opening as far as understanding the environment. So... Typically, when you want to know what bacterium, say, is uh, living in the environment, you try to culture it. You know, you plate it on some specific yeah. media, and you put it in an incubator, and you try to figure out what temperature it needs and what nutrients it needs. And, and what we have learned, shifting to the molecular technologies, is that most of what's there you don't grow. You don't even realize it's there because we don't know what requirements they have for growth. Um, but if you can find the nucleic acids, the, the DNA or the RNA, you know it's been there. And uh, these techniques are so powerful, uh, and they're now available. You know, the Human Genome Project was finished in, I think, like 2000. Uh, it took them 10 years and several billions of dollars to, to sequence the first human genome. Now that kind of ability is feasible to have on the lab bench in some place like a public aquarium. And uh, so we were able to understand the water and what was living in the water in ways that we'd never been able to before. And you can compare waters that way. And when you combine that with the rich legacy data that was accumulated in the, the, the laboratory, the chemical laboratory, the physiochemical laboratory that we talked about earlier, you know, now we can answer questions like, what happens if the pH increases or decreases, right? What happens to if the biome. Uh, acidification, yeah. right? What happens if temperature increases or, you know, and so not only are you able to better 
manage the systems that are under your direct control, you could better understand those influences on natural systems like the Earth. I mean, we've been hearing now about these water temperatures off of Florida, you know, in the hundreds of degrees, and, and the impact on life forms there, the corals are, are suffering. And, um, but what's happening on the, on the molecular level is now uh, a question that can be answered. Yeah. Now, I, isn't this the technology that they used also to track the Asian carp that are invading the United States areas? Yes, yeah. So you can apply it um, in many ways. You know, there's, there's, it, the technique is just asking the, the, the question, is there any DNA or RNA here? Um, and then if so, you know, show me, the, show me what's there. Uh, but you can target it. You can say, is there any Asian carp DNA here? Yeah, um, and you, you, that's called environmental DNA. So you can say, you know, did it make it into this water column or watershed yet? Um, things like that. So, so you can tailor the questions that you ask the instruments, um, <laughs> and and get answers that we've never been able to get before. Well, what's most interesting is um, we have another guest that we have on an annual basis during Dog Dental uh, Month, right? And he's been around. He's an old salty dog that's been around forever. <laughs> and and when we oh, have God. these conversations, okay. I'm not saying you are, <laughs> but 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 the point to be made is that the last time we spoke with him, you know, we were pretty much asking similar questions. What are some of the most exciting things within his industry? And it mm-hmm. was the fact that they were kind of going down the wrong pathways until they were able to DNA sequence. And his most substantial uh, sense of future accomplishment will be based on the fact that they'll now know actually the biome that lives within our gut system as opposed to what we assume it to be, what it actually is, and how we can then manage that. And so I find it fascinating, and I also am interested in seeing you know, as years come forward, you know, how we even address differently how we work with bacterias in regards to and overall husbandry with respect to aquariums, um, employing that same information. I'm curious at the level that you were at once you had all this high-tech equipment, were there changes of in what you did on a day-to-day basis or was it mainly just discovering what, what was there? Yeah, it, uh, it was both. <laughs> the discovery process is continual. We're, we're continuing to learn more. And there are so many systems that, you know, we're still investigating them. But uh, actual uh, management changes definitely result from, from this kind of thing. One of the things that was done at the aquarium uh, in the, the largest managed system there is a 3 million gallon artificial saltwater system. So it's uh, you know, imagine you, you're trying to replicate the Pacific Northwest um, in Chicago. Uh, so you start with Chicago city water, and first thing you do is <laughs> Whoa, take, boy. Out, you know, take, take a lot of things out that you don't want in there. Um, and, then, and then you start to add back the essential things. And um, what we, we, there's actually been some, some conservation benefits, too, because we discovered that instead of using instead of taking uh, aged water from some of the fish systems uh, during, a, say, a filter backwash and just you know, dumping it to sewer, uh, that water is perfectly suitable for a marine mammal to, to live in. It's the, again, the marine mammal is not breathing that water. 
So you can move that water now from the fish system to the marine mammal system. And what it actually does is moves uh, nutrients and microbes that are beneficial. So if you look at the communities of, of organisms that are in the water under those two management schemes, um, it improve, improves uh, the situation for the animals um, and saves water. Wow. So it's sort of a win-win. This is uh, partly w- w- how we were able to get so much support for this sort of work uh, at the aquarium because we're saving money and we're saving resources and we're making it better for the animal. Right. So it's a no-brainer. So, um, so in the last couple of years, too, uh, probiotics have come on with humans for gut biome and stuff. Do you... Mm-hmm check that on your fish? Do you feed them yeah. something with a probiotic in it? Yeah, so the the, the uh, realm of probiotics is, is incredibly verse, diverse. There's all sorts of information out there, and again, we don't understand enough, um, but there are definitely um, organisms that have been identified that if you expose the animals to them, it improves their overall immune status. So many things have been tried. Um, there's lots of variation, so I, you know, I'm not aware of uh, uh, any product right now that has resulted from this. Like, oh, this is the thing to have, yeah. uh, but it's coming. You know, they're, they're it just like be. for in humans, you can look at this uh, hundreds of probiotic um, products out there on the shelf for for human use as a supplement. Uh, the science starts to get a little fuzzy when you drill down because there's so much individual variation. Uh, but what I always uh, counseled folks to do was to, ins- to sh- ensure that we had high confidence it wasn't going to cause a problem, right. number one. First, and do then, no harm. Yep. So now you got to decide, is it worth the investment? And that's where uh, you can test those things. You know, did survival rates through quarantine improve? Did um, re- reproductive rates improve? Did, you know, and you can uh, answer those questions if you collect those data. Well, on that note, yeah, <laughs> Dr. Van Bon, I'm sorry to say we just are out of time, but we would love to talk to you again as you dig deeper into your retirement and frankly, find new and interesting things to do. But we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for your contributions at Michigan State as well as at Chet Aquarium. Well, you're very welcome. And, and uh, my condition for this retirement was that I Hang on to my summer place in Michigan, so I'm back and forth quite a bit. And great. Uh, well, hopefully, in the studio maybe. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, we would appreciate it. But uh, on behalf of our producer Bruce Warner, my co-host in the studio, uh, Rick Pruce, and Dr. Will Schultz, this is Lee Cohen. Wishing all of you a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk next weekend on the Mid Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Meantime, please, please take good care of your pets. Have a great week, everyone. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade.